Are you tired of all the voices who say, focus on the bottom line numbers? Say whatever you have to, just close the sale. Just get the credit card. It doesn't matter what you deliver. You will never build a successful business until you grow a pair and stop caring so much. Here, we respectfully disagree. We give you permission to embrace who you are, how much you care, and encourage you to design a business that works for you and your clients. Welcome to The Art of Giving a Damn, the podcast that proves with every single episode that you can create a profitable business doing what you're passionate about and making a positive difference in the world. Now, here's your host, Michelle Schaefer. Hey, welcome back to another episode of The Art of Giving a Damn. My guest today is Jeffrey Shaw. Jeffrey, welcome to the podcast. Well, hello, Michelle. Glad to be here with you. Well, I'm excited to have a conversation with you. Um, Let me start with your bio here. Having a keen eye isn't just for what one sees, but also for what one senses. I love that you started with that. You were one of the most sought-after portrait photographers in the U.S. for more than three decades, and now you use that honed intuition to uh, of empathy, empathizing to teach entrepreneurs how to attract their ideal clients by speaking their secret language. We definitely got to talk about that. Uh, you're the host of the popular business podcast, Creative Warriors, a nationally acclaimed keynote speaker, business coach for entrepreneurs, and author of the best-selling book, Lingo, Discover Your Ideal Customer's Secret Language and Make Your Business Irresistible. So, You've had an interesting journey yeah, to where you're at <laughs> and now. And that's not yeah. even including my personal life. That's just my <laughs> professional life. <laughs> so what, what took you from portrait photography into marketing? Yeah. You know, the crazy thing is it's, I'm still unpacking this. Like for me, as I think for many of us, right, we go through these journeys in our lives and it all makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And in some way, it just, you know, one thing connects to the other, like one dot becomes another dot and the dots, dots kind of splash on the wall and blend into each other. And, you know, it just somehow it makes sense to us, but I get asked that all the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, now I'm starting to kind of unpack it. And just yeah. two weeks ago, I gave really the biggest talk of my life up to this point as far as the number of people in the audience the the drama is the biggest performance I ever gave on stage like I was standing on chairs and I was the biggest version of myself ever and and to a standing ovation of you know like eight nine hundred people it was amazing and what was different about that talk is the first and i worked on this with a speaking coach for three months it was the first time i went all in on making the connection as to how i went from being a photographer to a branding consultant and because i realized there's all these similarities and it was so obvious to me that i couldn't necessarily see it right so that's why even in my bio like you know, you know the road to mastery, whether it's 10,000 hours or whatever it takes. But for 34 years, I've been photographing people. And as a photographer, by the way, I photograph entirely on location. So my brain just composes things. I don't know any other way to think, right? So you, I could be dropped any place in the world, any location, all the elements of the location, the people, the sun, the, everything I'm dealing with. And my brain just naturally sees all that chaos as exciting and synthesizes it and composes it into an image, right? And that's exactly what branding is, Mm -hmm. right? It's exactly, when I get into my zone of working with a branding client, 
I literally have the same physical feeling I did all those decades of photographing mm-hmm. where it's just my brain is just doing this thing and creative ideas pop up. So I realize how, you know, and my, my role as a brand consultant, mm-hmm. my number one role, this is true of even as a coach, but my number one role is to embody my client's ideal customer. Right? I tell my clients all the time, it's like, you're paying me, but I'm skipping over you because my job is to embody the, the role of, the, of the, my client's ideal customer so that I can reflect back to them when I need to see, hear, and feel in order to be compelled to hire you or buy your product. Okay. Right? So that's the sensing part. Like I just have an innate ability and also mm-hmm. honed over the years to sense people's needs that they don't know to say. Mm-hmm. I, have a sen- I, I can sense the relationships amongst people and the family. And I can sense how people feel about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I make constant decisions as a photographer whether I want to pull out someone's best mm-hmm. or if I want to take them from where they are to where I think they really will shine. Huh. It's all the same work, Michelle. It's been so phenomenal for me for, to spend the last few months yeah. really sorting that out and then bringing it out so that – and it's my differentiator as a speaker. My hope is, is that I become the photographer teaching branding mm-hmm. in a way that people have never looked at branding before. Yeah. And that's, that's what I want for the world. I want a stronger mm-hmm. relationship between businesses and customers mm-hmm. than we've ever had before. One of trust, one beyond trust, one where customers feel like the businesses they commit their money to feel like they really get them. Like there's an emotional yeah. connection. I love that. And I think that's something that so many people in whatever process we go through, starting our business, learning marketing, we skip over that piece. So often I think there's a lot of people that you kind of intuitively know, wait, there should be more here. I want to connect with my customers. I want to connect with my clients. I want them to know I get them and I really want to understand them so I can help them. But not a lot of people are having that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You know, I, we've been talking about buyer personas and avatars for so many years. Right. And, and, and that's great. I'm always grateful for whatever gets us to where we are today. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's always an evolution. Yeah. Right, so what's the evolution of buyer buyer personas and avatars barely scratch the surface because really they're they're a projection mm-hmm. of people which at the end of the day if you think about it projecting about people is not kind right but that's what buyer buyer personas and avatars are a projection of who you, you think your ideal customer is mm-hmm. where my philosophy is really know your ideal customer and in fact usually they turn out to be a reflection of who we are Yes. Or, or at least, you know, if they're not, a, if they're not, I mean, I, as a photographer, I served the wealthiest people in the United States. So in that sense, they weren't a reflection of me at all. I didn't live like them. I don't desire to live like them, but we had shared values. Right. It didn't matter that I grew up lower middle class. I have always innately had a value for the preservation of time and saving for the future, mm-hmm. right? whether it's saving photographs, saving memories, saving planning for the future. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, you know, when you grow up, as I did, lower middle class, that's not an option because the money isn't there to plan for right. the future. You're lucky if you can get by today. So I needed to find the affluent clientele, not because I thought it was the road to riches by any means, but because we shared values. So they, mm-hmm. they are a reflection of me. Mm-hmm. They're a reflection of, of how I feel about what's important in the world, and they happen to share that belief, and they have the discretionary income to support that belief. Mm-hmm. Right? So – our ideal customers are a reflection of who we are at our deepest core. Yeah. 
That's how you build businesses of, of uh, tight emotional connection. Yeah. I, I love that because so often people don't really stop and identify that value piece of it. It's something that when I work with clients, I think have a similar approach to it of, okay, fine, you can show me your avatar, but I want to know why, what motivates your clients? What are their values? What are their real big goals? Like what are their dreams? What are their fears? Because when you understand that, then you can actually show up, connect, and be of service with them on a whole different level yeah. than most businesses are thinking. I think, honestly, I think you can even go a step further with it, which is listening for what they're not able to say, Yeah. right? So, you know, and this is more obvious to me as a coach, but it was also very obvious to me as a photographer. And I think it's, if any business can tap into it, I, in my book, Lingo, I refer to it as the deeper need, right? So there's right. a difference between the acknowledged need and deeper need. Yeah. We live our lives, all of us live our lives only able to ask for what we know to ask for. It's mm-hmm. so ridiculously obvious, but it's that simple. We only know to ask for what we know to ask for. Right. But we almost always have a craving for something deeper that we don't even know to ask for. And, you know, and I often in my work make comparisons between who we are on our personal lives and our work lives. And I think there's very little division, particularly amongst entrepreneurs, very little division. And in fact, I think most of us need to bring more of who we are personally into our businesses and break down that business facade while maintaining a sense of quality and professionalism, but breaking down the facade. And, you know, in our personal lives, I mean, what strengthens a relationship greater than knowing what your significant other needs that they don't know to ask for right. when you know they need the hug when they don't even know to ask for it because they're just acting like they just want to kick the cat right they're just acting angry but you know that they need something else right i believe the same is true in business like what is there you know my in the deeper need for my affluent clientele which i had to pack unpack this myself i had to figure somebody asked me the other day well how you know, do they tell you that it's like no they can't tell you that they right. can't tell you what they don't know Exactly. But you can figure it out. We all can figure it out. And when I really stood back and looked at what, not only what they valued, but what they were up against, I realized their deepest value is to be responsible. Hmm. And coincidentally, I have that, that's the number, when I, I have a, on my computer, I have a list of my top three priorities in life. And my number one is responsibility. I don't know how to be any other way, right? Yeah. I, 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 all the time, I'm focusing on how can I be most responsible to the people I serve, to my kids. Um, my affluent clientele, they have that same, I'll even say burden of responsibility mm-hmm. because when you have money, money's not an excuse. Yeah. So you can't send two of your kids to an Ivy League school and one to a community college, right? Yeah. You can't. There's inequity in it, but anything, you know, like I grew up lower middle class and until, mm-hmm. in most of our upbringings, as all as normal folks, there's inequity amongst the siblings, right. either because yeah. families run out of money or in my, like with my kids, you know, my, my, I was better off as the third child came along. So the third child had a much nicer birth announcement than the first child, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, yeah. you know, in affluent families where money is not an excuse, that's a heavy burden of responsibility. Mm-hmm. So as a photographer, I made sure all their kids were photographed at the same ages. I made sure mm-hmm. all the kids had an equal number of photographs on display in the home. None of my clients, I I made sure they were always timely with their holiday cards so that they looked Mm -hmm. responsible to their friends. They would never know to ask for that. But that's like that big warm hug that I'm giving them all the time that they don't even know it. I'm just showing up that way. And that's what Mm -hmm. creates a tight bond. 
Wow. I love that because you're right. That's something that most people wouldn't even think to ask for. And most photographers would not stop and think to deliver that piece along with the photographs because there is so much more behind it when you look at that concept that I love what you call it, the deeper need. And I think that's something that, you know, when I reflect back to sales calls where I've been in the client or potential client position and I'm speaking with someone and they're, they're, you know, explaining their service or whatever their program is, it's when they've been able to identify and express that thing that sometimes I can't even say. If I knew what was holding me back, I would fix it, yeah, right? And exactly. so when they're able to reflect that and say, okay, here's what I see because yeah. this may be it. And I feel understood and I feel like they get me, I'm so much more likely to say, okay, you get it. You can help me fix the problem that I didn't know how to express. Yeah. I have um, kind of a, a rule, if you will, when I get inquiries, um, particularly for higher investment into my coaching, that I don't care how long the conversation has to take place. Now, you know, I carve out one hour slots, but right. I don't care if we have to speak two or three times. I don't provide a call to action or suggest they take a next step with me until I have given them that moment that you've just spoken of. Like I see it as my responsibility to give them that moment of thinking, holy crap, if I just got this from this guy with one hour on the phone, what would it be like to work with him for a year? Mm. Right. I won't ask for, I won't accept their business until I feel that I have know them so well that I've given them that opportunity because I know if I've done it then we can do that every phone call all year long and then that that's how I know I have my ideal clients that's a great way to approach it you know one thing that I know people who listen to this podcast know because they've heard me say it before is I think we have no like and trust the wrong way it's (laughs) not about whether they know like and trust me it's about do they see that I know them that I get them that I actually like them that I want to work with them and that I trust them, that I hold I, that vision. Michelle, I love you. I can hug you. I have my <laughs> one of my. I'm trying to see if it's around here because one of my biggest, like one of my most prominent slides mm-hmm. when I speak on stage, it literally says the new standard for no like and trust is wow. It's like you're in my head. I love that. <laughs> right. No like and trust. Again, it's just another model of yeah. buyers and buyer personas, avatars got us here. No like and trust got us here. Yeah. But you know what? It's not enough. Like right. it's not enough for people to just feel like no like and trust you. It's like they want to feel like, wow, it's like you're in my head. Like yeah. you know me so well. Yeah. It's just a continuation, an evolution of it. So I love Absolutely. that you're, you've had that same feeling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's one of those things that – you know, I think it comes from my background in content marketing and blogging, like realizing that the only way I can get people's attention is if whatever content I put out there, they feel like I'm in their head, like I yep. really understand not just what's the problem they have and can I solve it, but do I understand what that problem feels like? Yeah. Do I understand how frustrated they are by it? And on the other side, can I show them what it would feel like to solve it? Solve it. Because I think that's the other piece that sometimes yeah. is missing is that, okay, great, we can fix it. Well, okay, but what does that actually mean? What's the value in that for our clients? Yeah, I think too often there's too many marketers, particularly aggressive online marketers that try to demonstrate, I know how to solve your problem by the demonstration of how great their life is right now. Right. That's not compassion. That's just showy, right? That's just being braggadocious. It's not necessarily stepping, you know, and yeah. a couple of things have come up. Like when I was writing the book, which really hit a lot of hot buttons for me because I've never, it was my first book. Yeah. And I really, you know, I was insecure about my own ability to, to be an author. 
And um, before I wrote the book, somebody said, I was in a mastermind group, and a, a woman said to me, very confrontational, but I will forever be grateful. She said this to me. She goes, what gives you the authority to write this book? Mm. And I, my first reaction was to kind of collapse into my own insecurities. Right. Like, oh my gosh, she's right. I'm a photographer. What right do I have? Yeah. Three things came up to me. One, I said, you know, it, yes, I'm just a photographer, but I've been selling something that nobody needs to the hardest market in the world for 30 years. I know something, right? The other thing that really came up for me very powerfully was I've lived my life on the opposite Mm -hmm. sides of so many fences. And I'm actually working on an about page. And I think that's going to be the theme of my about page is to really look into what that means to have lived life on the opposite sides of many fences. So I grew up lower middle class, wound up serving the wealthiest people in the country. Um, I had paralyzing shyness, like incapable of communicating to other people to my mid-20s. Um, I actually took up photography as a career choice because – especially in that, that day, there was nothing great. There was no better career choice for an introvert than being a photographer because it involved work in the dark room back in the day. Right. And you have this box, this camera between you and the world. I never felt like the world was seeing me because I had a camera in front of me. Right. right? I specifically chose that as a profession as a way to hide. Mm. And I never intended on photographing people. I was going to photograph interiors of homes because I love mm. architecture. And then I, you know, I was never about interacting with people. Lo and behold, the irony of it was that I was really good at it, and next thing I know, I was winning national awards, and I was—I had no—I had no choice but to deal with my shyness because it literally threw me on stages. And now I'm a professional speaker in front of thousands. Um, I was married, three kids, you know, living the straight life for 19 years until the age of 44, and then came out as a gay man. Right. Actually, I divorced five years later. I came out and one had nothing to do with the other. Because so I divorced five years later, you know, looked at my life as, as a whole and, and realized who I really was and came out. This affords you a unique perspective in life. It really yeah. does when you've lived life on the opposite sides of the fence because, mm-hmm. you know, and we have so many political hot buttons in the world right now. And, yeah. you know, I can look at it and say, I understand that side. I understand this side. I have a choice of where I choose to stand on this issue, but I don't disrespect the other side because I probably have been there, right? When I came out 10 years ago, there was no marriage equality, and I couldn't – it was such a weird thing, Michelle, to come out at age 44 10 years ago and realize that if I had a partner in my life, which I did shortly thereafter, my partner did not have the same rights my wife had of 19 years. It was just weird. I'm like, I'm the same guy, same values, same contribution. I've been same taxes. I've raised three adults in this world who are phenomenal contributors to our society. Mm-hmm. How is it the person I choose to love by nature of their gender doesn't have rights? <laughs> it's things like that when you've lived life on both sides of the fences. You're like, what yeah. is wrong here? It gives you such a unique perspective. And I, I honestly believe that's what enables me to morph into the being of my, my, the ideal customers of my clients. So, Because I, I understand so many viewpoints. Right, you've worn so many different shoes, so yeah. to speak, over the years that yep. you can you can see. I think that's one of the things that's been really lost um, in in politics and in life in general in this country lately is that idea of well, let me step okay. into the other person's shoes just for a minute yep. and try to understand the other side because you can't have a conversation that's productive if no. you can't do that. Whether it's whether it's politics or whether it's marketing, really understanding where the other person is coming from. 
Yeah. Now, granted, in politics, I'm really vocal. I'm very clear on my stance. But I will say, look, I looked for your perspective, yeah. and I disagree. Here's my side. Right? right? You know, I stick a very strong stance because I think we have to. I'm not going to yeah. turn a blind eye either. I, I'm, you know, I got a whole debate with someone, or it's been going on for a couple of days on Facebook. A relatively respectful debate about the nature of, you know, respecting people because of their mm-hmm. title or office. And I'm like, I don't agree. I don't think being president or being a boss or being an executive innately gives you respect because that is a setup for abuse of power. There is something (laughs) to the idea of if you want respect, earn it. Earn the right. It doesn't come by title because then that's that's why, I mean, so many women have been abused under the premise of I'm the boss. Right. right? I mean, it's just, it's, it is literally a setup. Children are abused because of parents that innately think they have the power and the authority over that child because of title. Well, and that kind of goes back to what you said about the way we present ourselves. And sometimes people are trying to sell from that. Well, this is my amazing life and business and and the the bragging sort of of approach. And yes, you have to earn the right, but like you brought out it, it's not necessarily those types of things. It's your experience, your background, and the value you can bring to understanding somebody that gives you the right to do something like write a book about how do you speak your client's language or whatever those things are. And I think, you know, the idea of of taking those strong stances and saying, okay, it's okay if we disagree, but this is what I believe and here's why also really ties into what you started with talking about that presentation where you were, and I wrote down the phrase because I liked it so much, the biggest, boldest version of you. Yeah. And it's a journey, right? It takes, it takes a you know, I think we have, we have everything we need. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't find our purpose. Uh, I, when I did my TEDx talk uh, a year ago, which is about um, expectations, it's really about, you know, there's multiple themes to it. Um, and it was, to me, it was almost a complicated context, but I, I, to do it again, I would almost, I think I could almost make it more simple, but I want, I was really looking at what keeps us and I use the the metaphor of closets, like what keeps us in our closets. And I didn't reveal until halfway or reveal. I always think it's like, it's like yeah, like people didn't figure out I was gay when I walked on the stage. Not with the, with the shoes I was wearing, they knew. But <laughs> I'm a big shoe guy. <laughs> My I shoes get that. a lot of attention. But, you know, it wasn't until halfway through I kind of brought that story of my life into the context to – to share, you know, so we could bring a little humor into it too. But the point is, is that and I, the reason I came up with this concept of the TEDx talk was that I've been saying for years, we all have closets to come out of. Mm-hmm. There, are all, there are always these bigger, bolder versions of ourselves waiting to come out. Yeah. And what keeps us in these closets is our own limited expectations because expectation by definition is a predetermined outcome. So even when we say, I'm going to exceed my expectations, you've decided you can do this, and you're going to go this high. Expectation by definition is a predetermined outcome. How do we get out of that? And what I have observed, and I it just I keep seeing it and seeing it, and I, I think there's more to this TEDx talk than I even realized when I did it. What I keep seeing is that the way to get out of our own clauses of limitation is to see that other people see more in us than we see in ourselves and believe them. Right. People so often reflect back to you, the people that you trust and that you're in an inner circle with and your cultures of where you belong. People so often see more in you than you see in yourselves. And they're telling you that and you just need to believe them Mm. and let them literally pull you out 
of the closet, pull more out of you. And when I, I look at this observation, the topic of this TEDx talk came from watching the Tony Awards a couple of years ago. Hmm. When I sat there watching recipient after recipient stand up there and give praise to other people for helping mm-hmm. them be who they were. They thanked their peers, their fellow actors, their families. Thank you for seeing more in me than I saw myself. I've seen countless people, myself included, when, they, when we do come out of the closet, how many people around us are not shocked. Yep. <laughs> right? We joke about it, but it's because they've been seeing it all along in you. They're just waiting for you to find your truth. My point mm-hmm. is, Michelle, we have everything we need. Our purpose is in there, our wise, our greatness. It's all in us. And it just is smothered. We don't have to find it. It's there. You just have to peel it back. Mm. Let it come out. That is a fantastic perspective on it because so often we're told we have to find those things and we think it's something external somehow or some future evolution. And I think you're right. It is. It's there. Other people can see it. I know one of the most pivotal moments in my own business and my life was, was choosing to hire and work with a coach that believed in me when I couldn't believe in myself. They were able to, like you said, see that and say, no, this, I see this in you. I know you can do it and set that expectation higher for me and show me what was possible if I would be brave enough to, in this analogy, open the door and come out of that closet. Yeah, there's, um, and I referenced this in my TEDx talk, uh, and, which, by the way, I don't know if you've seen it or anybody wants to say it. It's jeffreyshawtedx.com is the domain for oh, it, awesome. so it would be a great support to this conversation. Yes. So, we'll, put a, we'll put a link to yeah, it near so, wherever yeah. you're watching this audio. It or just redirects you to the YouTube video, but it's jeffreyshawtedx.com. Yeah, I, I own like 500 domains. I'm a nut. Um, <laughs> cause it's so easy, right? It's just so easy yeah. to say that rather than search for it on YouTube. Who can remember that? Uh, but there's an f- ancient term in Africa, and I reference this in the TEDx talk, talk called Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. And it's an ancient term. Ubuntu t- loosely translates to I am I because of we. Right? Oh. Because in this African culture, they never they, – it was so collaborative as the world should be. It was such a, a – cult- they truly believed that I am I because of the collective. I am I because of we. I am mm-hmm. I because you saw more in me. I am I because I okay. took from all of you and became more of myself. Mm-hmm. Right? That's it's, – and it's an ancient term, and I, I came across that. And right. again, all these things were coming together while I was working on the TEDx talk that were – Mm-hmm. seemingly inter interconnected but as i said before it's just my photographer brain does this naturally right i see the pieces and so compose cool. a whole and i was getting signs mm-hmm. from all over the place what the theme of this talk needed mm-hmm. to be um and that was just i actually was at a book signing for another author mm-hmm. and um i had just found this term and i was at a book signing and she referenced it in her book i'm like are you kidding me like It was just like one right after another, Um, and I knew it was something meaningful to my TEDx talk. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's that's such a fascinating way. I'm kind of like playing with that in my head right now to to look at that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, somehow we've been led to believe we go through our lives in, in silos, yeah. you know, and, and think about what happens when we go through struggles in our lives and, or depression. Mm. We, we actually isolate ourselves the times that we would most benefit from other people. Yeah. And I get it. You know, I get how hard it is to, it's so much harder to ask for what you need when you're paralyzed by struggle or depression. It's yeah. so much harder. Yeah. Um, but as is often the case, 
whatever is true, you kind of need to look at the opposite of it, you know, and, and when it is true that it makes sense that you would want to isolate yourself and be so lost. Mm-hmm. It is also true that there's a world of people that want to help you. And we see this with suicide. And, you know, we have had some incredibly successful people who appear to be in the world to have everything take their lives. And you wonder how could nobody have helped them? Right? How did nobody see? And that to me is the saddest part of it is like how many people just are not seen because they're struggling. They don't, it's so hard to ask for the help when you're that isolated. Um, but, you know, it's exactly when you need to, as hard as it is. It's exactly when you need to say, I'm so lost. I can't do this myself. Can I lean on you? And that's what hopefully people are there for. Well, and I think that goes back too to the deepest need that you talked about. Sometimes we can't articulate that and we yeah. need somebody else to come in and say, hey, I see you Yeah, and be there to support us. Yeah. And sometimes it's sitting in the ugliness with us and sometimes it's snapping us out of it. And again, that takes a very intuitive person in your life. And again, I've, I've sat with many people in that situation and have said, what what do you think you need? Like, do you think you, do you want me to just sit in the pain with you? Or do you think you want me to snap you out of it? And sometimes I'll listen to their answer. And sometimes I won't. Like sometimes that's mm-hmm. part of being a coach too, is yeah. being brave enough to try something, right? Cause yeah. they may just say, I want you to sit in the pain. And I very well may, but at some point I'm like, okay, you need to just process this. And this is how we, we need to get out of it too. Right. right? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Mel Robbins, um, Mel Robbins, the five second rule. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that role was created as her, her way of getting out of depression. Yeah. Um, yep. Five, four, three, two, one, put a foot on the floor. She spent mm-hmm. so much time in bed. She, par- she was paralyzed. She didn't know what to do from her depression. And she just learned to count down. Five, four, three, two, one, put a foot on the floor. And sometimes that's enough. Absolutely. Sometimes it has to be enough. It has to be enough. Take that next yeah. action. And, you know, it's, it's tough when you're at a standstill to get back into momentum and start moving forward again. But that really is the key is just that decision. Okay. I've got this long. I'm giving myself those five seconds and I'm just going to move forward. Yeah. I think that's, that's true in business and in life. Very much. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Wow. Well, we, we've kind of been all over the map here. (laughs) That's fine (laughs) with me. We've talked about everything that we give a damn about. It makes sense to me. Perfect. (laughs) I think the things are so intertwined, and and I agree with you completely that too often people try to draw this huge line between who they are in business and who they are in their personal life, and there's a disconnect when we do that. The thing that makes us unique and attracts clients to us so often are those things that sometimes we try to hide. Yeah, 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 most definitely. I mean, that's, I mean, a book that was very influential to me early on was just the five love languages by mm-hmm. Gary Chapman. Yeah. And, you know, and 30 plus years later, I wind up writing a book called lingo. I mean, it's kind of interesting. There's, there's, there's a parallel there, but I remember reading this. I read this book cause I wanted to be a better parent. There yeah. was a particular version, the five love languages of children. Yep. And, you know, my, my second child was the catalyst for that because wow. my first child, my son, thankfully I understood, I, I innately parented his love language, uh-huh. um, which was uh, words of affirmation, right? I, since I didn't receive as a child, my natural inclination as a parent was to just praise you know, my son. And it happened to be that was his love language. But then my second child comes along, my, my oldest daughter. I couldn't figure her out. 
I was going to therapy. I'm like, I don't know what this child wants and needs. Like, she's a little bit of a terror. Like, what do I do? Yeah. Um, and I realized <laughs> that I wasn't speaking her love language. Her love language turned out to be quality time. Mm-hmm. And I realized, man, I can get anything I want out of her if I just gave her an hour right. of playing Barbies, right? No <laughs> resistance if I just played Barbies with her for an hour. And then I could drag her all over the place and, um, you know, and run errands or do whatever I need to. And then my third child turned out to be physical touch. So, and in, in at the time I was mm-hmm. married and uh, she was gifts and I was acts of service. Like we literally had all five of the love languages covered in our family, which is fascinating. But oh, yeah. it, we also, it gave me a deep understanding of speaking someone's secret language. Yeah. And, you know, 30 years later, as I get ready to write a book uh, and I look at the strategy mm-hmm. as to how I built my business, I wound up writing a book and then realizing, and I went back and actually credited the five love languages after the book was written because I realized, oh, this had an impact on me. I made no connection when I was writing the book. (laughs) Um, I just know how I built my business, and I built my business speaking essentially the love language of my ideal customers, what I refer to as their secret language. I really got into their deeper needs, the the things they didn't know to ask for, their values, their lifestyle, their behavior. I really – you know, that's how I was able to build a business as I did. And, and I was writing a business book and I wanted to give very specific strategies, mm-hmm. but realizing that uh, the five love languages had a big impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's another one of those things that it's not a, I, I'm, I'm guessing it's probably not on anybody's list of marketing books to read and study, but when you're, whether it's in a sales conversation or more often for me, it's in working with clients. When I stop and look at my program and go, okay, am I speaking these different things? Yeah. Am I actually addressing all of these different things? The results that happen are immensely more powerful when you step back and look at that and, and figure out, am I encouraging my clients in all of these different ways? Absolutely. So I know what their thing is. If it's somebody I'm working with one-on-one, being able to identify that and bring it into business is, I think, one of the things that separates people who can get really great results with their clients from others. Yeah. What I did, I think, unique in the book was um, you know, two-thirds of the book is very uh, specific business strategies mm-hmm. and how to build a business where you're speaking the lingo of your ideal customers. Yeah. But the last third is very self-help. Uh, and that was intentional, although yeah. – a bit of a challenge for me because I actually, I had written a book the year before and never got published and it was completely kind of a self-help how to get out of your way. You know, kind of, and I, I wound up putting that aside because of really good advice I got that that really just wasn't the platform. It wasn't the area of expertise. It was, it was for me writing it. It was a stepping stone to yeah. lingo, huh. but I was going to confuse my followers. But I, my, in my own mind, I felt like, you know, most, and you know this, what most people need is they need to change their mindset. They need to change their practices, their way of thinking before you give them the strategies. But again, if I really looked at the difference between acknowledged need and deeper need, they don't know they need that yet. Right. So I then wrote the strategy book, but I wouldn't let it go. So the last third of the book is, okay, and I literally say in the book, okay, I gave you all the strategies, and now I'm going to tell you the real secret to success. You have the strategies, but it's one of three things. You have the strategies. And if you only apply the strategies, you will be a hamster on a wheel. If you only apply strategies, which is what 90% 90% of business gurus seem to do, just give a lot of strategies. If right. you continue just taking the strategies, you will continue to work hard but hardly get ahead. Mm-hmm. If you really want to make a difference, you also need to check in with your mindsets and you need to have daily practices, not right. just for the sake of having practices, but specific daily practices that create an inward flow. Yeah. And the mindset piece ties into what you were just saying, which is the first mindset I, I talk about is being highly conscious of your views. Because 
what I see happen all the time is that there's a disconnect between what people say they want and what they actually view it. So, and it's a block in abundance, right? So many people, they want to live an abundant lifestyle and they have very negative judgments of people with money. Right. Yeah. You have to clear that. You have to clear that, you know, and, and it works. Like I have a lot of, I've amazed at how many people that I've worked with as a uh, coaching them have said, they literally have expressed, I don't want to become that person. Yeah. are like, who's that person? Right. They're like, well, you know what people become when they become successful. I'm like, mm-hmm. so you have a fear of becoming successful because it's going to morph you into somebody that you right. think you're not going to like. And like, and is there any wonder why this isn't happening for you then? Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. I mean, you're, you're setting up an atmosphere of self-hate and we don't yes. walk towards self-hate. No. Is so <laughs> many more people I think are afraid of success than they are actually failure. Absolutely. Absolutely. They are. And it's, it's the, it's the subtleties, you know, and I also, I will train my clients Mm -hmm. to be aware of how much they are scarcity thinking and they don't realize it. Mm -hmm. And I make them count how many times in a day they say, I don't have enough of something. Mm -hmm. I don't have enough time. Powerful exercise. Like if you walk through your life, say, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough. You're constant. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I even, one of my, um, a client from, gosh, five years ago, I think it was, she just posted on Instagram a story of our, one of our coaching calls from five years mm-hmm. ago that I had forgotten until she reminded me where I was speaking to her once and she was expressing how overwhelmed she was. Mm-hmm. And she was actually overwhelmed by good things, right? A yeah. lot of business came in, was coming in from various angles mm-hmm. and she was overwhelmed. And I said, can we reframe this to abundant Instead, I mean, so again, if you're going to go through your day saying, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed, how about saying, I am blessed with abundance? Look how much I have the opportunity to manage here. It's a great (laughs) shift. Right. It's the subtle. And so, you know, in some way, I'd like there to be another lingo book, which might be the interior lingo, (laughs) right? This is the lingo of other people, the book Mm -hmm. I've written. But I'm actually thinking the next book may be, now let's talk about your inner lingo because we're going about our lives all day long speaking of scarcity lingo inside of ourselves. We have negative views of things that we think we're walking towards. Um, I had a rule as a photographer. I've always had in-house retouchers. Mm -hmm. And retouching is a very sensitive and intimate thing for people, right? And I never wanted my clients to even know that their images were were retouched or enhanced. Mm -hmm. I didn't even want them to know because I wanted to do it in such a way that my criteria was if we're going to alter anything on the face, if we're going to slightly slim an arm – it was always done to the premise that we're bringing it to the state that we believe we experience it in real life. And the fact of the matter is the reason why when we look at photographs and we see more lines and wrinkles is because life is in, real life is in motion. So you don't see every line and wrinkle that is going on mm-hmm. on my forehead you know, now, until now I mentioned it, right? But in a photograph, that suddenly is going to show up, mm-hmm. right? It's frozen. It's still so we retouched to the premise that we were just bringing it back to people, how people experienced life as it is in motion. And with all, I had, a, I had various staff members over the years do retouching, and I had a very strict rule. And I, I literally, I fired one person over the years for breaking this rule, the only person I've ever fired, which was you may not criticize, make fun of, or mm-hmm. joke about how intimate it is that you were enhancing someone. 
Mm-hmm. There would be no allowance for a, you know, a roll on someone's belly, yeah. a, a line or a mole. A, any mention of that, you were out yeah. because this was a loving experience and we were lovingly enhancing them to a degree that they wanted to see themselves. But it was never to be done in joke uh-huh. or with any level of insensitivity. Um, and like I said, for that, I would I let one person go over the years, but everybody else abided by it. But it was a very – we would – if I needed to discuss how a photograph was to be enhanced, it was done lovingly in yeah. thinking of that person's perspective, never done in a way that would in any way feel unkind. I love that. That's fantastic. I think you should definitely write that second book. <laughs> it's one of, it's one of, one of my goals for 2019 is to come up with a concept for the next book. It'll be written in 2020 and published in 2021. So um, yeah, I'm working on a few concepts. That's one of them. That's awesome. Wow. Well, I think the, uh, the last third of that book really was the most powerful part of it, you know, as I read through it. And I think it's a really great example of what we were talking about with earning the right, because you go through all the strategies in the first part of the book, and it's, that's what we think we want, right? We yep. think we want the strategies. This is what I'm looking for. But then what people really need, that deeper need, is that mindset part of it is here's how to shift you so that you can implement the strategies and get the result. Yeah. Because we can get people strategies all day if they're not the person they need to be to implement it and to get yeah. results from it, it's not going to work. Yeah, I think, I, I don't know if I say this in the book or the audio book, um, uh, because in the audio book I riff. I don't, I did, it was not a straight read. I said whatever was on my mind in the audio book, and I don't oh. remember if it's actually in the printed book. I'm going <laughs> to have to listen to that. <laughs> it's the advantage of being self-published because yeah, I don't have to follow <laughs> any copyright laws. It's my content. Um, <laughs> but as I don't know if I said it in the audio book or if it's actually in the printed book, but I actually, you know, one of the struggles I had when releasing the book was Amazon, you know, being the, the, the business that it is, which is a wonderful company, but I had to, you have to pick, is it a business mm-hmm. book? Is it a self-help book? What category does it fit into? And I'm, I, my goal is to create an entrepreneur category that doesn't currently exist. And here's how it will be different. Yes, we have business books. We have self-help books to truly be an entrepreneur. It's a blend of the two. Oh yeah. Definitely. So I think there should be an entrepreneur category that innately means I learn business skills and I learn how to develop myself as a person because that is what it takes to succeed as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. If there's a petition for that, let me know. I will sign. (laughs) I'll I'll talk to Jeff Bezos about it. He's a little busy right now with some scandals, but um, when he's free, yeah, when he's free, I'll I'll, I'll check in with him. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to have this conversation. And I know people are going to find value in the concepts and the ideas that you shared around you know, how to speak your customer's language and actually have a conversation from a totally different level. Well, thank you for having me. And um, I love the format of your show. And it's just nice to have a conversation where we don't have to know exactly, you know, it's, it, this was not a strategic conversation. This was just like, let's talk about what's important. Yeah, absolutely. So everybody listening, wherever you're listening at, uh, go type in Creative Warriors. Make sure you subscribe to Jeffrey's podcast. You will find all sorts of interesting information that will challenge the way you currently think. And that's one of those steps. In, in being able to grow as a person, being able to grow your business is really being able to expand the way that you see the world. So I encourage you to go uh, subscribe to Creative Warriors. You can find Jeffrey's book on Amazon. It's called Lingo, first result that pops up when you type that in. So Jeffrey, thank you again for being on the show today. 
Thank you, Michelle. My pleasure. All right. Wherever you're listening to uh, this at, rate, review, subscribe, and uh, tune in again for another episode.